Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. There's about to be a lot of fresh faces on city council, but will they bring a fresh approach to the job? I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. We're less than a week from the municipal election, and if you haven't heard, a major sea change is already underway at City Hall. The next city council elected in 2023 will look a lot different than the current one. That's because many older people are headed to the exits. 48th Ward Alderman Harry Osterman says he's stepping away from City Hall when his term ends next year. Another Chicago City Council Alderman says he is not running for re-election. 21st Ward Alderman... Howard Brookins. The list of Chicago aldermen hanging up their ward hats just keeps growing after Susan Sadlowski Garza announced she too will be exiting council chambers. A 16th Chicago alderman will not seek another term. Mayor Lifewood's re-election, it does look to be up in the air. But who might replace her? No one can predict because there is no clear leader. So just how much will the city council change after next week? And what are some of the key races to keep an eye on? Joining us now to discuss is Alex Nitkin from the Illinois Answers Project for the Better Government Association. Aaron Hegarty, City Hall reporter for The Daily Line. And rounding out our panel is Bronzeville reporter for Block Club Chicago, Jamie Nesbitt-Golden. It is remarkable how many older people have decided to call it quits this cycle. Alex, just remind us of some of the biggest names that are bowing out. It is almost at this point a third of the entire city council, especially when you put together the midterm retirements, folks who are retired um, before the end of their term or have decided they're not running for reelection. I think some of the biggest names are, um, you know, on the north side, Alderman Tom Tunney, who has, has been around for about 20 years, chairman of the zoning committee and a big ally of Lori Lightfoot. Um, you have uh, Alderman Leslie Harrison, who's also one of the, the sort of senior members of the council on the sort of record of independence on the south side. Fifth Ward, um, I mean, who else? George Cardenas, well, he he ran for another office. Mm-hmm. Um Susan Sadlewski Garza, who we heard before, um, chairman of the Workforce Committee and a big a Chicago Teachers Union ally. So folks who really run the gamut and a lot of um, different older people sort of across the ideological and persu- political and demographic spectrum. But mm-hmm. um, most of them were more senior and had a lot of experience. And most of them uh, also were, were generally pretty powerful and close allies or still are at this point of Mayor Lori Lightfoot. And so it's going to open up just a huge vacuum of power in the next council. Erin, what is behind the exodus? Um, <clears throat> I think, you know, a lot of aldermen have just kind of had it. Um, they're they're done, you know, doing this job where you have to come down to City Hall at least once a month and legislate and you have to respond to your um, residents' concerns. And, you know, a lot of them, as Alex said, have been in office for a while and they've reached kind of that point and they've, you know, yeah. kind of worked with enough people who are coming up underneath them to be able to support um, who they would like to, to succeed them um, for the next four years. Jamie, what went through your mind as we started to see one after another after another saying, <laughs> I'm not running for re-election? Um, Initially, I'm, I'm looking at Lightfoot and I'm going, you know, like Whoopi Goldberg and Ghost Girl, you're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think to Aaron's point, you have a lot of folks, a lot of lifers who are kind of fed up and are looking to, you know, 
are considering what their second act is going to look like after spending so long in city council. Also, this has been a really contentious four years, right? We've seen like a lot of older people sort of go against Lightfoot in, in one form or another. Uh, most recently, uh, Alderwoman Lee, not Alderwoman Lee, but um, the Alderwoman from the 20th, uh, Jeanette Taylor. Yes. Um, going uh, against Lightfoot about the, the migrants being sent to her ward. Um, we're seeing a lot of, of, of that, right? A lot of you know older people saying that they're not being heard from City Hall. They're not getting the communication they need from City Hall. So mm. a lot of people just sort of, you know, <laughs> throwing their hands up. And you alluded to this earlier, Alex, but with, with so many council members resigning or deciding not to seek re-election, there's also going to be a lot of institutional knowledge lost here. I mean, what could that mean for how things are run at City Hall? It basically means that they're going to be able to make up their own rules. They're going to get to really decide uh, with kind of a fresh start, what do we really want the city council to be and ask themselves some fundamental questions about what the role of older people, both individually and as a group, are. Um, Credit to to Cranes for putting this together. I think they counted up all of the collective years of experience that the um, retiring or retired aldermen have, and it's 217 years of institutional memory that is going to be gone um, I say that it's an open question in part because, you know, talking to, to folks who work in the city council, there's not that much of a, you know, there's no like orientation process that they have to go through other than, you know, um, till this point, Ed Burke, you know, talking to them and sort of giving them some lessons on what they need to know. <laughs> right. Uh, he's one of those who is, is not running for reelection. And so um, there really is going to be an opportunity for them to decide how much of an independent body they want to be, how much they want to focus on constituent services, how much they want to focus on sort of citywide projects and things like that. You spend a lot of time, all, all three of you, getting to know the aldermen of this city. Jamie, who are you going to miss seeing around City Hall? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, um, gosh, you know, I, I think for me, um, well, well, I don't know if, if this counts since she's running for, for mayor um, and we don't know how next week is going to turn out. But I think um, Sophia King has just always been sort of accessible and really, you know, uh, from what I hear, tries to engage her constituents. And when you're covering stories about, the, you know, the ward, you want an older person who can pick up the phone and uh, or at least text back and. It's refreshing to to not have to worry about that with her. So I would say definitely Alderwoman King. <laughs> what about you, Erin? Um, I'll miss a lot of these. Um, so one, I've I've said this to a few people before. Um, Tom Tani is the chair of the zoning committee. He runs a very tight, efficient meeting, mm. and zoning committee meetings can get very long and unwieldy. So, and as journalists, um, we appreciate that. <laughs> yes, the agenda is like always very specifically like laid out. He doesn't, you know need anyone to talk any longer than than they should um and i'll miss sue garza um i don't know she's she's really a warm person to talk to she's pretty accessible mm-hmm. um it, yeah i'll i'll miss seeing her at city council meetings what about you alex looking down the list i really i think i gotta say fifth ward uh alderwoman leslie hairston she oh. um is she always says what's on her mind which i appreciate <laughs> as, a, as a journalist um, she is outspoken. She, you sort of never know exactly what way she's going to come down on any particular issue. And um, I am always going to miss. She always has the best Halloween costume. At City Hall <laughs> um, this year, she was an Arlington Heights bear. <laughs> nice. An Arlington Heights bear. I love it. So, I mean, talking about that that institutional knowledge or that loss of institutional knowledge that we, we were just talking about, I'm thinking of the fact that you know when you lose 
a lot of you know people who have been in a position for a long time, you get a lot of new folks. There's a downside that happens sometimes where the newbies can make a lot of avoidable mistakes. So I wonder to what extent you think Chicagoans just need to allow for a learning curve. I think there... Um, there, there are a lot of aldermen who do have a good amount of years of experience who are not leaving the city council. And um, I think, yeah, there should be a bit of a learning curve, but um, I don't think we should underestimate those aldermen's abilities to kind of bring along um, the, the new crop of, of people who will come in. I yeah. think that there is also, when we talk about some of the things that the older folks on the city council are frustrated with the younger folks about, it's for things like speaking up when they maybe are not expected to or, you know, making noise on something that they should just go along and be quiet for. So in terms of mistakes, I think that the big ones are, you know, the basics like not responding to constituent services and not mm. being accessible to people because mm-hmm. that yeah. really is the bedrock of how older people are sort of graded in their jobs. But as far as the rest goes, like I said, I think it really is going to take a lot of rewriting the formula of what their job is. Let's talk about the redrawing of of wards here because, uh, you know, we're going to get into more of these races that we're watching. But the shape of so many of these wards, that's changing as well. I Mm -hmm. mean, I think some of these new wards are just unrecognizable. At this I, point, I'm still trying to figure out what the 34th looks like, <laughs> and yeah. I, I I stand by my my uh, tweet I made not too long ago that the remap was was clearly made by a Batman villain. Um, <laughs> I think it was Joker for sure. What's um, that gerrymandered pool noodle <laughs> one? That's the 36. The Grand Avenue. Yeah. Ward. Mm-hmm. Aaron, talk about how these new wards are um, just changing the dynamic, maybe of some of these races. Um, I think you have incumbent aldermen who have to try to appeal to a new group of of people, specifically the third, going back to the pool noodle 36 <laughs> yes. ward. Um, Gil Viegas now has to reach out to and, you know, get his name to voters who live in West Town, which is not anywhere near where his current 36 ward is. Um, on the flip side, I think it does, it can open up the opportunity for other um other candidates to run against incumbents yeah. and for them to kind of represent groups of people who haven't been represented in those wards before. Yeah. What races have you been keeping your eye on, Jamie? Um, for me, it's been the 11th um, where uh, incumbent older woman Nicole Lee is, is trying to keep her seat uh, and she's going against six challengers. Uh, she recently received an endorsement from Mayor Daly, which is a huge deal considering that, you know, he's been sort of keeping a low profile since he left office. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's going to be interesting to see how that endorsement plays out for her next week. Um, Also the fourth, like I know going back to the, what you said about um, institutional knowledge, um, the one thing that the fourth has going for it is that one of the folks running is Princess Butler, who has been serving as Sophia King's chief of staff for the last several years. And even before that with Will Burns. Um, so, I mean, he has the know-how and he has, you know, the, the ties to the community. So, but he's also mm. going against uh, state rep Lamont Robinson, who also has those ties and, you know, considerable machine backing. So, it's, again, it's going to be really interesting to see how that, you know, sort of plays out next week. Yeah. Alex, what about you? What races are you watching? Well, you know, first of all, as long as we're speaking of retiring aldermen, I wanted to just take a quick second to pour one out for Alderman Alan Gale of the <laughs> fictional 51st Ward 
on the show Southside that has yes. been so cruelly and Such sad uh, news pointlessly today. canceled by HBO. Yeah, um, I am so mad. Southside. I'm going to start a petition. Southside I'm starting a petition. Been canceled. I, I never thought I'd hear that. Uh, I'm sorry. What was the question? Which <laughs> which uh, which races am I following now? So not the fictional fifty first, but yes. What mm. what real races are you watching? So I recently moved to the forty eighth ward, um, which uh, is one of the most crowded races at this point. I thought that it was the most crowded with ten candidates, but lo and behold, the fifth has 11, I think maybe the It's like the Wu-Tang Clan. It's like you cannot <laughs> keep up with it. Um, it's a big, wide-open race. It's especially interesting because the 40th Ward, you know, like those, uh, um, most of the North Lakefront wards are just these very clean, neat, rectangular wards that mostly just represent a neighborhood. In the case of the 48th, it's basically Edgewater, a little bit of um, uptown in Andersonville. And it's interesting because it, it doesn't really have much of a history of big contentious political fights and organizing like its neighbors, you know, to the North Rogers Park and, and to the South and Uptown do. Yeah. There are always these big sort of upheavals of, of political action. And Edgewater has always been, just been more um, sort of content to stick with with its incumbent. Um, and so, you know, Alderman Harry Osterman has been popular and either it faced no challengers or just sort of nominal challengers in his uh, three terms that he's been elected. And if there is a runoff, which is extremely likely in that ward, since there are so many candidates, it'll be the first runoff the ward has ever seen since the runoff system was created in the mid-90s. What issues would you say that you and your 48th ward neighbors are, are most concerned about right now? You know, just like pretty much everywhere else in the city, I think public safety is top priority, yeah. no matter what neighborhood you live in, even though obviously every neighborhood is experiencing it differently. Every candidate really has to have a full platform on how they're going to address public safety, make people feel safer, what kind of relationship they personally in the community want to have with the police department and the local police beats. I think that all, pretty much all of the candidates in, in 48 are sort of striking this balance of, you know, we, we want to have good relationships with police, but also really attack the um, fundamental causes of crime and things like housing and poverty and education. Um, a lot of them are really emphasizing um, uh, schools and just sort of keeping neighborhood schools in the area uh, strong. You know, it's where Sen High School is and, mm -hmm. and re some really strong CPS schools in the area. Um, and transportation is a big one. It's it's a very yeah. transit-rich ward. Um, the A couple of red line stations in the ward are undergoing major makeovers right now, and there's a lot of contentious debate over bike lanes, as always, and so that's something they're talking about a lot. It's happening all over the city. Same question for you, Aaron. before we take a pause. What races are you following closely? Um, I'm also looking at the fourth. That's going to be very interesting. Yes. Um, and I'm I'm watching the 26th ward as well. Um, Alderman Roberto Maldonado um, was initially running for re-election, and he announced um, after I don't know, a couple months ago, a month ago, that he wasn't going to run. Um, he has endorsed um, Jesse Fuentes, who is an activist from the neighborhood, and she has um, the backing of United Working Families, a progressive. Um, or the progressive organization probably to get an endorsement from. Um, she's running against two other candidates, Julian Perez, a.k.a. Julian Jumpin Perez of Chicago area DJ wow, that's fame. That's right. Um, and Angie Gonzalez Rodriguez, who is the current Democratic committee person of the ward. Um, so affordable housing is going to be a big, is a big issue in the 26th ward in Humboldt Park. And of course, public safety is too. Let's break down the race for the fifth ward, which includes Hyde Park, South Shore, and parts of Woodlawn. Alderwoman Leslie Hairston announced last summer that she wouldn't be running for re-election after 24 years on the council. 
And now 11 candidates are in the running to replace her. Alex, what have you heard about this race? The Fifth Ward is really interesting because it has a really long and endemic reputation as being a really fiercely independent ward, independent of the mayor's administration, independent of the Democratic Party, going all the way back to you know the 1960s when it was pretty much unheard of for any alder people to really be independent and alderman um, Leon Dupree. Uh, now, it, it, and, and I think, as I was saying, uh, Alderman Hairston has, has, in a lot of ways, I think, kept up that reputation, and it is um, a very... Diverse ward. It's a, a ward that has, um, you know, the University of Chicago is is mostly inside it. It's um, South Shore Woodlawn areas that have had a lot of struggles over the years, but also are seeing a lot of new interest mm-hmm. um, from uh, developers. Um, yeah, it's a big group. I know that um, Desmond Yancey, who's a, a police um, oversight uh, um, organizer, has been is in 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 the mix, and also Tina. Uh, Hone, who's in the Lightfoot administration. Right. Um, um, and yeah, Jamie, well, not, you live there, uh, right? Yeah, so, yeah, and I've been, uh, my husband and I and, and our son, have been, we've lived there for the last, gosh, 11 years. Um, mm-hmm. But I also went to high school there and uh, sort of grew up there, so I'm familiar with the area. And it's been, I, I did have a chance to sit uh, in on one of the aldermanic forums for the fifth, and that was, it got very spicy at some point. <laughs> um, what I do find really interesting is that a lot of these candidates do have a tie to the University of Chicago in one way or the other. Like either they graduate from there or they're an employee there. Um, and U Chicago does have a lot of sway, a lot of influence in Hyde Park. And, of course, Whitlawn and South Shore. So that's going to be interesting to see, you know, what candidate, you know, uh, is able to, you know, sort of bridge that divide between the university and residents who feel like, you know, the university does overreach sometimes when it comes to developments and, and the mm, like. Um, you also have Gabriel Piemonte, who has, uh, I think this is his second time running <laughs> for uh, for office. And um, he's a little left of center, um, pr- very progressive. And I'm not really sure how that gels with, I mean, like, although the Fifth Ward is known for being a bit progressive, it's progressive with an asterisk, right? Yeah. Like, um, so interesting. it's going to be really interesting to see how, you know, it, you know, it, if voters will go that way or they'll sort of, you know, stick to the more centered um, candidates. Doing. Yeah. On, on top of the university, I just want to add, there's a new player in the mix now, which is the Obama Foundation, right? They're right. a big new neighbor with yeah. the Obama presidential And, and we've seen like a lot of, uh, a lot of residents um, sort of voice their displeasure at the idea of the OPC coming because they're worried about, you know, affordable housing. And I think that's the other thing that's, uh, you know, on top of public safety, there's also, can I keep my home? Uh, will I be able mm-hmm. to rent here? Um, so you're, you're, you know, there's been a little pushback there. So whatever candidate does come in, they'll have to, again, sort of strike that balance between residents and, you know, folks who want to sort of develop this land. Aaron, 11 candidates are also running for the sixth ward, right? That one represents Inglewood, Chatham, and Greater Grand Crossing. Do you think that this will make voting more difficult for residents? I think so. I think there's probably, I mean, people should have a choice in who they vote for, but 11 is... That's a lot of people. If you're trying to, to know every candidate and do your own research, it's it's a lot to look at. Um, but yeah, so this is 11 people trying to take over the sixth ward. We have current alderman Roderick Sawyer. He's been alderman since 2011. He's running for mayor now. Um, kind of one of the front runners uh, could be William Hall, who's a pastor at a church in, in Chatham. He kind of leads in fundraising, uh, 
found that thanks to good reporting from my colleague, Michael McDevitt. Um, he has major union backing mm-hmm. and he also has the backing of United Working Families. Again, that progressive group that endorsed 18 aldermen back in November. Um, you also have Paul Bryson, who is an aide to Alderman Sawyer. So he could bring in some um, knowledge of how the ward works. And uh, you also have Patrick Brutus, who um, also hasn't done terrible at fundraising. Um, and he um, he he has run for Congress twice unsuccessfully. Mm-hmm. And he um, he's worked with the Chicago Department of Planning and Development. So he has some some city experience. But but yeah, it, it will be difficult, I think, for residents to figure out the differences between each of these 11 candidates. Yeah. And and picking up on a, a point Jamie made earlier, there, there's at least four races where young progressive candidates who have grown up in the ward and experienced violence in the wards are running. Uh, they're offering an alternative to the way that previous aldermen have governed. Have we seen this kind of activist showing before? I don't think we have, honestly. I, I And I'd say this as a native of Chicago, and I've not seen... Um, we're having conversations that we didn't have of a decade ago about reparations, about what mm. police reform could look like, what you know, uh, abolition could look like. Um, and these are the kids sort of leading that conversation. So it's been really fascinating to watch. Um, and who I mean, given, you know, that we have like a significant number of Democratic socialists on the council, it's going to be, again, really interesting to see how uh, this sort of plays out for the for the you know, for the next year or so. Yeah, I- I think we saw a little bit of this in 2019. I'm thinking of, um, you know, activist Will Calloway, who ran in the Fifth Ward and yep. came very close to unseating Hairston then. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is the first um, city election since 2020 and the, you know, murder of George Floyd and, and uprising that followed that and the whole defund the police sort of movement. And we have seen how that term has been thrown around in all kinds of ways for all kinds of reasons um, and ways that. In some elections, and, you know, specifically I'm thinking of um, races like the 3rd Congressional District where um, the progressive uh, candidate Delia Ramirez was really labeled by her opponents as like she's the defund the police candidate and she won handily. And so I think that we're going to have to really see Mm. in, you know, the uh, uh, Lightfoot um, commercial campaign commercial. The mayor's race just flashed across our screens trying to. Um, you know, label Brandon Johnson as the defund the police can- candidate. Like the, a radical. She, like the, the term yeah. radical is thrown around a lot in that ad, which is really... Like extreme. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the, you know, we're seeing that in, in races like in the 33rd Ward, where Sammy Martinez, challenger, is trying to, you know, label incumbent um, Democratic Socialist Alderwoman Rodriguez Rodriguez Sanchez is like, oh, she wants to defund the police. We're going to see the effectiveness of that. This is going to be a real test of where it takes voters and where it takes the council. Aaron, Reset hosted two mayoral forums a couple of weeks ago, and and we talked about some of the issues that we've brought up today, public safety, transportation, and education, talking about them as just a few of the key issues that voters in the city are thinking about. Talk to us about how the issues are playing out in the aldermanic races and and how things are looking right now when it comes to voter turnout. Um, I think the issues are are probably overall the same in the aldermanic races, but um, specific to the different parts of the city, I think, you know, um, crime and public safety looks different depending on where you live in the city, depending on, um, you know, how many of your ward residents take public transit. Does does public safety um, bleed into that in mm-hmm. your ward? Is that what you're going to harp on? So I think, 
Yeah, the issues are essentially the same. Um, affordable housing is an issue citywide, but what does that look like um, on the north, south, and west sides and in in these individual um, wards? Mm-hmm. Any trends that you're noticing, Alex, when it comes to voters turning up so far? I think that um, we're just in a new environment where voting by mail and early voting is much more normalized than it has been before. A lot of that is habits from the pandemic. A lot of that is um, from, uh, I think, 2021 state law, or maybe it was sort of made permanent last year. Um, that a really lot of people have already voted vote by mail. Yeah. And I signed up to vote by mail. I mean, it's very easy. You get your ballot, you drop it off at any mailbox or, or Dropbox, and you can you can um, vote in the privacy of your own home with, a, you know, take as long as you want. Um, definitely not surprised that a lot of folks are taking that option. Are you voting by mail, Jamie? No, I'm going I'm, to. I'm old school. I have to go in for the whole the full effect. Election and, and, day. Yeah. And then like the polling place is right in our condo building. So I have no excuse. <laughs> Someone's going to hand you that. Story. <laughs> So I don't think any of us have have forgotten, but uh, we've also mentioned this. There's uh, we've got a mayor that we've got to vote for. And since there's still no candidate that's polling at that 50 percent that's needed to win a runoff election, that's probably inevitable. So what I want to know is if if Mayor Lori Lightfoot doesn't win her bid for reelection, let's think about this for a second. What challenges might there be for the candidate who does win? And I'll go around the room on this. Any thoughts? How much time do you have? <laughs> give me, give me the, no, the forty-five second version. Um, I mean, obviously, crime and public safety are the biggest one, uh, and and everyone is going to be looking at them for um, how they'll manage this massive influx of money that is still being worked through from the federal government that is going to stop very soon. Budget issues, pensions. I mean, we're talking about relationships with the city council and how they'll do that. I mean, I'll just stop there for now. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Aaron, do do you think that Lightfoot has more of an advantage among city council members, maybe because she's already established connections with some of them? Keyword, some of them? (laughs) Not necessarily. I don't, you know, right before this, I was listing out... um, kind of the top candidates and which aldermen are supporting them. And, you know, Lightfoot does have some some supporters, but um, a lot of them are leaving. And so I don't know how leaving or have, you know, were supporters of her and maybe not have flat out said, you know, I've jumped ship, but in their actions have done so. Mm. So I think, you know, Brandon Johnson has a lot of a lot of similar number of aldermanic support as as the mayor, um, Chewy Garcia has a few aldermen who are supporting him, and, and Paul Vallis has at least three. And so I think, um, I'm yeah, I'm really looking forward to May, when, May and June. when <laughs> <laughs> uh, We all are, but next Tuesday? for <laughs> different reasons, because I want to see kind of how everything settles, who gets chosen to, or yeah. how a mayor and the city council work together or don't work together to choose city council leadership, city council committee chairs, who kind of gets those top positions Mm -hmm. under which mayor. Jamie, you are nodding like ever right now. I mean, (laughs) think about this. If if we get a new look here, right, new mayor, new faces on the city council, is that a positive for the city? I think so. I think uh, what we've seen in the last four years is a reflection of people's restlessness, right? Like, I mean, again, like the fact that we have a more progressive council, that that we've had in years says says volumes. And I think Brandon Johnson's rise has been very fascinating to watch as well, because 
six months ago, if you'd asked the average person who Brandon Johnson was, we wouldn't know. And now he's sort of come <laughs> like from behind yeah. and he's an actual contender now. So it'll be really interesting. Again, I, always, I know I've been saying that over and over, but it, it really will be really interesting to see like if, you know, voters will go for this like clearly progressive candidate when past is sort of dictated that we don't swing that way when it comes to who we put in city hall. Um, I don't know. Like, I feel like it's anybody's game and I, it's hard to say. Leave us with this, Alex. What do you think could make or break this new city council? What will make it stronger? Well, that's a big question. I'm not just going to answer at this moment. Everything what? lies on your you know, response. There's, there, I will say there's a, a particular segment of the city council that I think that a lot of folks really sleep on that is very, very powerful and is only going to become more important to the next term, whoever the mayor is, and that's the West Side Alderman. Um, mm. The West Side Alder people, I'm talking specifically here about this core group of 27th Ward Alderman Walter Burnett, 28th Ward Alderman Jason Irvin, 29th Ward Alderman Chris Taliaferro, and 37th Ward Alderman Emma Mitz. They're all... Veterans, they all have tons of experience. They're all close allies of the current mayor. They're all committee chairs. And they have quietly, you know, amassed a lot of power and influence. And I think especially with a city council with a lot of rookies, um, I think that they're definitely the people to, to watch and see how they try to sort of guide the course of conversations. That's Alex Nitkin of the Illinois Answers Project at the Better Government Association, Aaron Haggerty, City Hall reporter with The Daily Line, and Jamie Nesbitt-Golden, Bronzeville reporter for Block Club Chicago. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you for having us. And we're back discussing turnover on the city council. We are going to switch gears a bit here and talk to someone who has suggested a lot of changes to the city council over the years, former Inspector General Joe Ferguson. So a big moment right now for, for the council. Have you been keeping up with the races? Oh, my goodness, yes. How can you All not keep up with goings. the races? All the comings and goings. I mean, turnover in city council isn't unusual, right? But it is, is this sort of mass departure all at once? Have you seen that before? No, I don't, I don't think we've seen that. And somebody would have to go deep into the history books. We probably need a Dick Simpson to tell us when that happened. Before. I mean, and you were IG, let's be clear, under three different mayors. So yep. if you're saying you haven't seen that, then it's, it's Absol- been a while. Absolutely. This, is, this, this bodes for a potential sea change. Earlier, we talked about the loss of institutional knowledge that's kind of happening right now with some of these departures of the, the longtime aldermen. Walk me through that. What, what's your thinking here? The so some of this goes to how the council is actually structured, where the the knowledge is actually reposed in individual aldermen, um, and that's because we don't have a vibrant committee structure where there's subject matter experts who are permanent staff to the city council that actually carry that institutional knowledge. Mm. So it's a big deal when someone like Tom Tunney steps down. It's a big deal when someone like Michelle Smith steps down, and so that gets lost. But I I I don't really worry about that because Why not? my finding is is that the people who are most um, engaged on process and policy are the junior tenured alders. And there is a generational shift that's going on. And if you actually look across the, the, the 16 altogether who took an oath in May of 2019, who will not take an oath of May in 2020, of 2023, mm-hmm. um, it's mostly longer tenured alders. And it's that young generation that actually really has dug in in these four years. Well, let's let's dig more into that. Talk more about what you see as the benefits to this influx of freshmen 
aldermen? Because we're talking about at least a third of the council here. So um, it's really hard to tell which way that's going to go in terms of sort of ideology orientation. Um, There are some really sharp swings in places like the 33rd district and the 41st district, I think, where you could go all the way to a democratic socialist or somebody who's really old school, right? Um, And so that's going to matter. But um, what um, this bodes for is the potential of elevating what are individualized initiatives to change the structure and operation of the city council, actually reaching a tipping point where the council as a whole jumps into the conversation. And as your earlier guest noted, and I think it was Alex in particular, you know, the first order of business for the city council is to formulate and pass its rules. And that's where um, that, that's where the devil meets the details mm-hmm. in terms of whether the council is going to claw back the authority that it actually possesses under state law. Mm. Yeah, it uh, makes me think of, you know, when it comes to this so-called the way things have always been done. What does a shakeup like this mean for, for that that culture of the machine? Um, the what it, it's more a matter of culture of the machine mm. rather than the way of the machine. And the culture of the machine, um, the legacy of the machine is an acquiescence to the authority of the mayor um, and an acquiescence to the notion that the council is there actually to be a constituent services sort of organization by and large and occasionally pass the legislation that's brought to it by the mayor rather than a legislative body. The authority has always existed. The younger and junior tenured, and I don't want to put this in terms of ageism, but the junior tenured alders actually came to be legislators, most of them. And they are eager to actually change the operational structure to permit them to be legislators that provide the checks and balances. And um, this will be the first the first time in our conversation where I plug what it is that I'm endeavoring to do, which is actually to have this whatever changes get made, not be a matter of rules, not be a matter of ordinance, but be a matter of city constitution, a charter. And we'll talk more about some of your, your recent work in, in just a moment. Over the years, you have had... Um, as IG, uh, tough, critis- tough criticism um, when it comes to just the structure and the culture, as we just talked about, uh, of the council. You've described it in the past as, you know, 19th century machine patronage culture. You've said it, it's Groundhog Day here, always. Tell us a bit more about that 19th century machine culture you, you referred to. Tough but fair, I, I'd like to think. Um, right. And that is, um, and, and, and another mention to charters, back at the turn of the 20th century, the beginning of the progressive era in the United States, most cities had a huge influx of populations to meet the industrial industrialization and the growth of, of, of population centers. And Chicago actually had a charter commission and did not vote to change the structure of its governance. So our governance structure dates all the way back to the turn of the 20th century. Mm. Into And for the rest of the country, they began to change how cities operated to meet those evolving challenges of contemporary needs, population societies. And we haven't changed since then. So into that void came the political machine. And, and the culture of the political machine. Um, and so um, the patronage um, uh, orientation and other things got infused into government itself and the structures of our government mm-hmm. actually operated on the basis of machine imperatives. A lot of that has been rolled back on the basis of lawsuits like the Shackman lawsuit and the patronage system that, that operated in the city. But the culture remains um, because the power from that from that void 
put everything in the hands of the mayor, and it's never been clawed back. Well, we talked specifically before you and I on Reset about the way city council is set up, that strong mayor, weak council system, uh, that it could lead to a rubber stamp type council, one like Rahm Emanuel and the, the, the dailies had. Why, in your opinion, Joe, do those types of councils not work? Um, there, so here's, here's, uh, it's more a matter of sort of um, human um, intuition and knowledge. Nothing works well if everything is based on the decisions of a single person. And the idea behind checks and balances isn't to just contain abuses of power. It is also to generate the critical engagement between the, the a legislature, which is truly the representatives of the people, more democratic because there are many of them, um, and the executive. And from that, you get vetting of the proposals of the executive, the mayor, mm -hmm. and you also get you also get policy proposals coming out of the council itself. That elevates both the quality of, of, of policy, the quality of programs, the accountability mechanisms, and it elevates governance overall. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. And if you're just tuning in, we have been spending the hour taking a look at what is next for the city council. There's going to be a lot of turnover after this election with dozens of seats up for grabs and many more contested races. Our guest right now is former Inspector General for the City of Chicago, Joe Ferguson. He's also the executive director of the nonprofit ReChicago that aims to re-examine how the city council and the mayor's office could work better. So you said on the show with me before, Joe, quote, you said, structurally, the city council is not well served to be legislators, end quote. That was because aldermen are so busy working on things like parking permits, zoning, ward-specific items like that. What steps do you think it would take to change that up and get aldermen off of parking permits and just more focused on legislation and running the city? There are um, uh, overall about 450 employees of the city council. Um, one cadre of them are the folks that actually are working for individual aldermen in their ward offices. And those folks... Our, their, their bandwidth is largely consumed by constituent services. Um, there's no time for policy. There's no time for review, right, of, of, of complicated issues. That would be okay if you had a committee structure with integ integrity. And when I say integrity, I don't mean from a dishonest perspective, although there's a little bit of that at the margin in this sense. The mayor largely decides what committees exist. The mayor largely decides who the chairs of the committees are. And in the United States, checks and balances, the legislature is headed by a Speaker of the House that is chosen by the legislators. In Chicago, think of this from a federal perspective, the President and the Speaker of the House are the same person. And um, for the aldermen themselves, they are so short-staffed on constituent services that the chairs selected by the mayor and doing essentially the mayor's work get staff that many of them, and this was a finding of the inspector general's office, many of them don't hold hearings. So there is no there is no check and balance on critical issues. There is no amassing of subject matter expertise. But those staff are deployed in the wards themselves of the chairs. All of that can be unpacked. We want to have a professional legislative staff. We want to have um, rigor to the utilization of that staff developing that subject matter expertise. We want to have independence of the committees, independence of the committee chairs to decide when there's going to be hearing, on what subject, doing what business, holding the votes that it wants to hold. Right now, historically, all of that is controlled by the mm -hmm. mayor. There are no checks and balances. We'll talk more about those checks and balances in a moment. But but first, I, I did mention that since leaving the post of inspector general, you've started this nonprofit, 
called ReChicago. Talk a bit more about what you're looking to do. What we're looking to do is elevate consciousness um, uh, and understanding that Chicago is the only major city in the United States that does not have a municipal constitution. They're referred to as charters, not to be confused with school charters. They're essentially constitutions that do exactly what we all understand the constitutions do define what the bodies or components of a government are, how they work in relation to each other, and in municipalities around the United States, and there's best practices for this, um, uh, uh, these things are generationally and sometimes more often Mm re-examined and reset. We want to elevate understanding of that, elevate understanding for Chicagoans who feel despair about how to make it stop being Groundhog Day, that the government is theirs. There is actually a way to reset the government, um, which I love saying well, on you, this you, show. You say, uh, I, <laughs> thank you. Um, but you, you talk specifically about a, a citizen-based yes. reset. So help us unpack how you see the citizens' role here. Um, uh, what How this is done everywhere else in the United States is through a commission. The commission is constituted of citizens. Um, the process is very citizen-heavy. So in New York City, for example, when they did their hard reset, we're talking 200 meetings in community, right, um, and literally held in community itself. Um, what citizens want, not want from government, not simply in the in the sense of transactional service delivery, mm-hmm. but in terms of relationship, what sort of transparency that they need for that, what sort of accountability standards, mechanisms, so on and so forth. And we hear from the people. And that gets infused also with our analysis of what's not working and what we are not meeting on the basis of the existing system. That gets put into a series of recommendations by an official commission that then goes to referendum, mandatory referendum, and the people vote on the form of government. How did 12 years as inspector general prepare you for this? Um, it took me a long time to realize truly it was Groundhog Day um, and 12, I mean, it's 12 years of, of, of doing what I think um, was putting out recommendations over and over again with fact-based, evidence-based analysis and findings to support those recommendations and seeing them not implemented hmm. and us in the same cycle and pattern. I know, the, I know how deeply grooved the culture is, how it's infused in the processes that exist in the city, um, how it affects the culture of the city council and the city overall that results in basically a a, a, a sort of a, a cycle of the past over and over again, and also see how it is that it is not meeting sort of the burgeoning, evolving challenges of the future. The fact mm-hmm. of the matter is the future is here right now, and Chicago is not merely not meeting those challenges. It is squandering an opportunity to actually be a business leader, um, uh, an environmental leader in the whole center region of the United States. And so this most American of cities is actually the least American with respect to how its governance structure exists. Mm. And it exists that way because we have no formal rules. This work sounds like a a continuation of your work as IG. And of course, you've talked a little bit about your wish list of of concrete changes that you want to work toward. But talk specifically about where you would start. Where, Where do we begin? The city council. Um, and the balance of power between the mayor and the city council. Um, there are this is a, it's a very complex system that we've set up. Many of the components of government that we think of as city government are actually separate government bodies: the school system, CTA, so on and so forth. The mayor actually holds a lot of the appointment power, but the operational power is held by a separate body. But the business of the city is actually 
conducted through the city council. And if we change the way the city council operates, we would have a different form of discussion. We, and and I'll, I'll give you a very, one, one, one very simple example. The city council does not have the power and the authority to demand information from the mayor, the mayor's office, the departments. They do not have the authority to compel the appearance of city officials for hearings. And so critically comp- critical hmm, infrastructure and complicated things get pushed through the through the city council. We often talk about the parking meter deal never being able to happen in most any other major city in the United States. We can update that. The casino couldn't have happened in the in any other city the way it happened yeah. here. And the, the the problem is is that we enter these things without the standards, without the accountability, without the understanding because the mayor's office controls what information the council has. Well, you talked a second ago about that citizen-based reset, right? So how do you get Chicago residents to engage on this? Like, what's the first step for them? Or is it more about a rewiring of how we think about our relationship with the city council? So it's multiple things. And one of the things, that rewiring, that can only occur through a lot of deep engagement in community. So one of the things that we're doing right now is we're conducting roundtable sessions with Advocates, advocate leadership, community leadership to actually talk about how it is that we need to talk about what is for some people ultimately kind of um, a technical notion, right? A charter. What the heck is that? And they're folks that have given up on the government actually serving them. So really what we're talking about is deep engagement, campaign and movement building. Yeah. Well, we're almost out of time, but I'm curious what else you're going to keep your eye on as we get closer to Tuesday, February 28th. Well, um, obviously the mayoral election um, and, you know, where where we started here is what the composition of the city council is. It's going to matter a great deal in terms of what we see, whether or not there's going to be actual change or whether we're going to go into a sort of a different form of chaos. But a lot of that mm. depends on who is the mayor um, and uh, heading into um, a runoff. Who the two people are in the runoff will actually greatly affect not only the quality, but the content of the conversation that we have yeah. for the exhausting ensuing five weeks that are coming to coming quickly on our heels. And we'll leave it there. That is Joe Ferguson, executive director of ReChicago and former inspector general for the city of Chicago. Thank you so much for joining us in studio. Thanks for having me. This episode of Reset was produced by Meha Ahmed, Dan Tucker, and Micah Yason. And it was edited by Ethan Schwab and Stephanie Kim. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to catch all of our coverage of the aldermanic and mayor's race next week. That's all for Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.